Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Well, hello and welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast where we go ad fontes to the fountain, to the Word of God, to be nourished and sustained by all that God is, as he has revealed to us himself. My name is Tyler, I'm your host, and we are continuing our trek in the Song of Solomon. Uh, we are wrapping up chapter 2 today. Uh, this one will be a, a bit shorter of a text and a bit more practical. Um, just a couple of verses today. Um, last week was Easter Sunday. And we talked about the reality of um, that because there is an empty tomb, we can know God and we can also be known by God. That the beloved has come down the mountain and, and beckons us to himself. And so here we're picking up in verse 15 of chapter 2. We're going to go all the way to the, the end of chapter 2. It says, Take us the foxes, the little foxes, that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies. Until the day break, and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe, or a young heart, upon the mountains of Bether. As I said, small text. Not much going on here in terms of uh, is this big doctrinal statement or anything, but there's there's poetic bits here that are good to marinate in. Um, so take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. What's going on here? Um... Well, the, the Hebrew phrase there in those opening words is the King James is as direct of a translation as we have available. Take us foxes, the foxes. And the word take in Hebrew literally means to take possession of, to lay hold of, to, um, to apprehend. So take possession of these foxes for us, essentially, is what is being said here. The little foxes that spoil the vines. What is, what is going on here? Well, we've just had this picture of union and communion between the bride and the bridegroom, um, typified as Christ and the church. <clears throat> and so now we have this picture of foxes that seem to um, spoil the vineyard. Um, we're talking about foxes, that is, things that hinder the union, that hinder the communion between these two parties. We're talking about um, those pet sins, as we like to say in the, the, the modern age. We're talking about sin. We're talking about the things that creep in that drive a wedge between our communion with Christ, the things that take us away from the heart of Christ, 
that is typify here as foxes, as a as a pest in the ancient East. Something that comes in as very destructive, even nowadays. Um, I'm I'm in the south of the United States, and so we have foxes, we have coyotes, and in my neck of the woods, those are actually considered a pest by the Department of Natural Resources because they do a lot of damage to the environment, um, to um, populations of different animals, and so there is a need to keep those things in check, even in the modern age, because foxes and coyotes and those types of animals do a lot of damage to the ecosystem. So of course they would do damage to something like a garden. Um, and so that's what's being painted here is this idea of of spiritual foxes, of those those sins that drive a wedge between us and Christ. The things that take our heart away from Christ. And so it is an exhortation to deal with the foxes. It is um, the words of the woman, take the foxes. She is asking Christ, so to speak, to take the foxes. That for us to part with these sins that drive us away from the heart of Christ, it has to start with Christ. It has to start with him. That when we try to break away from those sins, we can't. That's the whole reason he came in the first place, is that we cannot part with our own sins. We cannot make ourselves good. We cannot make ourselves righteous and holy. We will choose the sin every time. Because the human heart, it says in Jeremiah, is full of wickedness. Who can understand it? That's not an encouraging picture. That is honest. That is gut-wrenchingly honest. That our hearts as Calvin once said, are a perpetual factory of idols. It is nature for the human heart to stray away from the heart of Christ. Isaiah 53, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have forsaken God's plans to follow our own. And yet the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. That is the relationship here, is to take the foxes is not my power. The, to take the foxes starts with God. It starts with the character of Christ, who died for sin. Died that I could become the righteousness of of God because Christ who knew no sin became sin that there is a there is an exchange here so we are exhorted to take the foxes <clears throat> but it's also in reference to the work of Christ making us new through the spirit if we turn to um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 for a moment here says, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. That is, you know what I, Paul, have taught you. You, you know the gospel I proclaimed. You know the, the Christ I profess. 
and you know the the God that I have instructed you in. Verse 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. And the word fornication generally means lawlessness. Um, a lot of times it was used in reference to sexual lawlessness, but it's not confined to that. That is often a general sense of depravity. So this is the will of God, comma, even your sanctification, comma. And the, the reason for that is this is the will of God, including our sanctification, the way by which we are made holy, hakios, the way we are made holy, that we are separated from the world and separated unto God, is the will of God. It's part of God's will. And, it, and this will is that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, that is, his body, in sanctification and honor, in holiness. Verse 5, not in the lust of concupiscence, which is a very fun word to say. It's simply, it's an old English word that means desire, that means wrongful desire. Not, so not in the lust of sinful desire, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. And so this idea of holiness, of sanctification, of taking the foxes, is one, something God does in us, but it's also something that we participate in. That it's, it's a twofold process. Um, we might say it's synergistic, that it's two things working together. It is um, something we're called to do, but it's something that flows from our union with Christ that we abide in Christ and part of that abiding is that we become more like Christ Colossians 3 one of my favorite passages on the subject as soon as I get there it's a phenomenal text um, Colossians 3 says if then if ye then be risen with Christ Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So if we are risen with Christ, if we are united with Christ in his life, in his death, and his resurrection, as the first fruits of the dead, if we are risen with Christ, then let us seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Let us direct our minds to the fact that we are new, the fact that we are alive in Christ. Seek the things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, 
not things on the earth. Why? Because we are dead. We are, it's interesting because we are alive in Christ, but it also says we are dead. Why? Because as far as the world is concerned, we are dead. When it comes down to it with the world and the participation in the sinful um, state of the world, we are dead. We are wasting our lives, they say. As far as they, as far as the world is concerned, we are dead. As far as the culture is concerned, we are dead. And so, in the world's eyes, ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. And so we are dead to the world, and we are hidden with Christ. My life is hidden with Christ, which means that part of my existence is forever bound to who he is. That part of who I am is bound in who he is. That what I do, the things I set out to do, the things I commit to, are ultimately bound by grace and by covenant to the God who lives in me, the God who works in me to will to his good pleasure. That ultimately I am not my own, but I am part of the family of God in a very real sense. And so when it says to take the foxes which spoil the vineyard, that is part warning, but also part exhortation. That is a recognition of what sin does, is it ruins the vineyard. Why? For our, our grapes are tender. But it also exhorts us to take the foxes to be to part with the foxes, to part with those sins which drive us away from the heart of Christ. Which means that it can be done. And that will be completed when we enter into glory and we dwell in the presence of God forever. But the encouragement now in that statement is that we will be rid of these foxes. We will part with these sins. And we will worship Christ in his natural environment. In an environment where sin does not exist. And that is an encouragement in our day-to-day -day sanctification. That we are becoming more like Christ so that we can commune physically with Christ in the new heaven and the new earth. So take us the little foxes that spoil the, the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Sin has an uncanny ability to destroy what is good. <clears throat> to destroy holiness, to destroy the affections, to corrupt our minds. Sin gets into everything, and it is ugly, and it is foul. But Christ came that we would have life, that we would be made clean by his word. So we are exhorted to part with these sins. As Charles Spurgeon once put it, you will never, you and Christ will never be one until you and your sins are two. You and Christ will never be one until you and your sins are two. That the nearer we grow to the heart of Christ, the further we grow from our from those natural sins, from those sinful 
pursuits, those sinful thoughts that were so natural. And while that will always be imperfect until we enter into glory, there is a progression where we become less like the world and more like Christ. Verse 16, My beloved is mine, and I am his. And he feedeth among the lilies. This is, in this bit of poetry, this is a reminder that we take the foxes to take the foxes that spoil the vines. And then it goes into a reminder that I am his, and he is mine. That who we are, where we are, is tied to the need to part with the foxes. The reality that I am Christ's. Not because of my own um, virtue, not because of my own deeds, but because of who he is. Let's flip over to Deuteronomy 7 for a moment. I'm flipping around a lot. I'm so, uh, you'll have to forgive me, but there is just so much packed in here. So Deuteronomy chapter 7 says, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. So God has chosen Israel to be holy, to be his people. Verse 7, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. So it's not because they were the greatest people that they were chosen, but something else. Verse 8, But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you. And that word redeemed literally means purchase. And so he purchased you out of the house of bondsmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth co covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So the fact that Israel was chosen spoke more to the faithfulness of God than their own inherent virtue. And so for us to be the beloved of God, to be Christ's, speaks more to the heart of Christ than my own qualifications. The fact that I'm his beloved, this is not natural language. This is not language that should exist. But the beauty of the gospel is that it does. The beauty of the gospel is that we who have hearts that are a perpetual factory of idols have been made to be the people of God. Now, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And so, the, my beloved is mine, and I am his. And the second line, because we're talking parallelism, so everything that is said in Hebrew poetry is in pairs. It's said in pairs. And so the second line um, relates to the first line. So the first line is, My beloved is mine and I am his. The second line, He feedeth among the lilies. And at first glance, that seems kind of 
disjointed. That doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the text, does it? Like, what does this have to do with the previous statements? Well, if we are experiencing union and communion with Christ through this book, if the sweet communion between the, the man and the woman is a type of the communion between Christ and his church, then for us to be his and him to be ours, he feedeth among the lilies. So where are we? As I said earlier, we will worship Christ. We will dwell with God in his natural environment. The, the phrase at the end of the book of Ezekiel, after this prophecy about the city of God, about the dwelling place of Yahweh with his people, the end of the book of Ezekiel says the name is what? The Lord is there. And it says in, in Revelation that God has made his dwelling place with man. That he has come down the mountain to commune with us. And right now we experience that communion largely in spiritual terms. That we do not behold the face of God as um, Adam and Eve did. We don't have that experience, but we will someday. And part of what is happening right now is that the creation is in groanings and labor pains, as it says, because the creation longs to be remade, to be, to part with the sin that has defiled it. And through the, the gospel, work has begun of restoring things to their former glory. And so the gospel is actively reforming the world piece by piece until Christ comes back. Because he must reign until he has made his enemies his footstool. Until he has, has defeated all his enemies. And the last enemy to be defeated, it says, is death. And when death is defeated, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, it means that death and the idea of spiritual death will cease, in a sense. We will live with God as it should have been in the garden. And so we will dwell in his natural environment with him. <clears throat> and so the appeal of heaven, the appeal of the new, new heaven and the new earth, is not the streets of gold. It's not the sea of glass. It's not the jasper. It's not any of, it's not any of that. It's not the walls, it's not the people that we'll meet there. The, the greatest joy in the idea of heaven, as revealed to us through sacred scripture, is the fact that Christ is there. The fact that God lives with us. That we will dwell in the house of God. Which is the cry of David. In Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thou prepare. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is continued in Psalm 24. These two are placed together for a reason. Psalm 24 starts off with, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Who? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Who shall be in his presence? It says, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. That's imputation. That is justification language. That is one who has received the righteousness of God and counted as his own. This is the one who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, the one who is justified before God by God. As our Lord himself said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And that purity is something that is done in us, not something we naturally have. And so, my beloved is mine, and I am his, and that is the grounds by which we enter this holy place, by the which we ascend the hill of the Lord, is that we have been made to be his, that we are being conformed to his image and likeness, piece by piece, hour by hour, day by day. And verse 17, Until the day break, and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe, or a young heart, upon the mountains of Bether. Again, we have Christ likened to a delicate animal, to a pure animal. And he is told to, to flee, to run. And we keep seeing this language of Christ being disturbed like a deer, to be apart for a season. I believe that this is language of the coming judgment day, when the books are opened, that there is coming a day where he will come, and he will come as judge. And every, everything done in secret shall be made open. Everything done in secret shall be revealed. For God shall bring to judgment every work, whether it be good or evil. And I believe that in seven, verse 17, we have a picture of Christ staying away physically until the coming day of judgment. And until then, he makes intercession for his people as their priest. That he ever liveth to make intercession for his people. And there will come a day where intercession will not be needed because we will part with the sinful flesh. And all that remains is what God has redeemed by the work of the cross, by the work of the Spirit. That the person and work of Christ, now the Spirit, 
has made us acceptable to the Father. And, it's, and he is told in this text by the woman to be like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of Bether. That is, the mountains of division, the mountains of separation. The, sep the divided mountains, the separated mountains. Because the idea of holiness means separation, means to be set apart in a negative and a positive sense. And we are set apart from the world while also being set apart unto God. And likewise, Christ is set apart from the world. And for us to be united with Christ is to also be united in that separation. We are set apart from and set apart to. Because Christ is pure, and his bride will be pure, undefiled, and beautiful in his sight. And so the thing we ponder in these words is where we are in that process. Am I becoming more like Christ? Gradually, incrementally, with difficulty, of course. But am I becoming more like Christ? Am I bearing his image? Am I, is my existence, the way I inhabit time, is that testifying to my spiritual sonship? It says in Hebrews um, 12, Pursue peace with all, and holiness, without which no one shall see God. Because the pure in heart shall see God. And we are pure in heart, not because of our own virtue, but because of what Christ has done in us. He is, he is making us this that there will come a day where we will be separated from the sinful flesh and all that remains is what God has redeemed through the Son and the Spirit as acceptable to the Father. And we will dwell in the presence of God forever and we will worship Him in His natural environment where the sin that once drove a wedge between us no longer exist. A place where sin, death, and darkness have no part, have no power, no presence. Get to know Jesus. Get to know Christ. To savor in his love. To reflect on his grace. The mercy that he has shown every single one of us. Come unto Christ and be saved from the sin that ensnares you. Be saved from the sin that cuts you off from his goodness, from his, his love, from the beauty of the king. Come unto Christ and become his, and he will become yours. In this union and communion, will flow from that. God bless. Thank you for listening. This has been the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is a podcast ministry striving to feed people the wonderful words of God, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, striving to let the Word speak for itself. 
This ministry is also a member of the Truth and Love Network, a diverse fellowship of fellow podcasts of different theological backgrounds united in the gospel of God. For more from the Bread of the Word podcast or the Truth and Love Network, check out the links below and follow us on social media. Until next time, God bless. Matthew 4.4.